What's up, everybody? JT Sports here, back at you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing can the Miami Dolphins win the AFC East, why Oregon State is the biggest sleeper team in the Pac-12, how good will Oregon football be, and lastly, how good will the Denver Broncos offense be this upcoming NFL season? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. My Instagram is at JT Sports underscore, and you can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. And if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. I think that Oregon. So can the Miami Dolphins surprise the football world and win the AFC East this season? Now, this is a really intriguing question because we all look at the Buffalo Bills and we know that not only are they the best team in this division, but they are potentially the best team in the AFC. But Miami is a team that has a pretty high ceiling. And it really all depends on how good Tua plays and how good of a coach Mike McDaniel is. Because you look at this team from a talent standpoint, they definitely have a good amount of talent to be able to keep up with the Buffalo Bills offense. They have arguably the fastest, if not the fastest offense in the NFL going into this season. You bring in a Tyreek Hill, you pair him up with Jalen Waddle. you also have tied in Mike Gusecki, don't forget about wide receiver Cedric Wilson, and you have a really good core of running backs, and you also improved your offensive line by bringing in Connor Williams, left tackle to Ron Armstead one of the best offensive tackles in the game so offensively Miami has talent to be able to match up really well with Buffalo's offense then you look at the defense the defense you have Byron Jones Xavier Howard you have a really good defensive line your pass rush should still be phenomenal so for Miami If they're playing their best football this year, best case scenario, I definitely could see this team being able to win 12, 13 games and winning this division. And also, you probably could make the argument and say that they're their second most talented team in the AFC East. You see, New England has been able to skate by just because they have a really good coaching staff, right? But... The reason why Buffalo has taken over the throne as the AFC East Supreme or the king of this division is because, you see, for a while, New England was able to win with less. They were somebody who didn't need a talented football team to win this division. All they really need was Bill Belichick and a great coaching staff because the division was down. But once Sean McDermott came in, And not only did the roster improve, but he improved as well as a head coach. And he ended up becoming a top five, top seven coach in his own right. Then that's when Buffalo started to take control of the division. And you see, I always say that it doesn't matter how good of a team you have if you have a very good coach. If you want to be able to win in the NFL, you got to have great coaching. Well, what happens when you have a great coach and plus a great team? Well, you end up being on the winning end more times than not. 
Meanwhile, you look at New England, and yes, they do have a great coach. However, they don't have the talent at the moment to be able to beat the Bills when it matters the most, and that's the thing that is hurting New England. You see, eventually, when you have a coach that's arguably as good as you or in that same realm of being an elite coach, you can't scheme your way to a victory anymore. You have to be able to scheme and you have to be able to win. And that's what the Buffalo Bills can do so well. So for the Miami Dolphins, if Coach McDaniel ends up being as good as what we think he will be, it's no reason why the Dolphins couldn't become the second best team in this division with ease because New England has a lot of question marks when it comes to the defense and offensively we don't really know how the offense is going to perform because we don't even know who's going to be replacing Josh McDaniels at offensive coordinator so for the Miami Dolphins this is a very good opportunity that they're walking into this year they have a very good chance of being able to surprise everybody and winning this division and I wouldn't even be surprised if they end up finishing in second place because this is already a team that's a playoff caliber football team okay it's not as if Mike McDaniel is going into Miami and they have to rebuild and they have to draft a quarterback this is a team that over the last couple of years that has already been in that in that conversation they've been a borderline playoff team and they came nearly close the last couple of seasons of getting in so now you take a borderline playoff team that you inhabited at the start of this offseason and you bring in some key additions and now this is a Dolphins team that not only should be able to win more than nine games but they should be able to win double digit games so I expect Miami to be able to compete with the Bills this year even though the Bills are a really good football team and they are better than Miami however we have to take the best case scenario into account for this scenario okay We're talking about the Dolphins, if they are able to play up to the level of talent that they have on their team. And if they are, this is a team that definitely could end up winning this division because they match up really well with the Buffalo Bills on paper. The Bills have a really good defense. However, the Miami Dolphins have a really good offense. The Bills have a good offense. The Dolphins also have a really good defense in their own right with a very good secondary. The only question that we really have about the Dolphins on the defensive end is at linebacker. But other than that, you look at the fact that you're going to have Jalen Phillips coming off a really productive rookie season you also have Emmanuel Ogba so you pair him and Jalen Phillips together going into 2022 that should be one of the better pass rushing duos in the league you have a really good secondary so this is a Dolphins team that matches up pretty well with the Buffalo Bills so I think they have a better shot at winning the AFC East this season than what the Patriots have And I'm not saying that the Patriots are going to miss the playoffs, but I am saying that if the Dolphins are able to reach their potential this year, best case scenario, I don't see a reason why they can't win this division. I want to talk about my biggest sleeper team in the Pac-12 heading into the 2022 college football season. And it's going to be Oregon State. And I want you guys to bear with me because many of you guys are probably going to listen in to the first 30 seconds and click off because you're going to say, oh, this guy's a fool. Oregon State? Are you for real, fam? 
yes, I am for real. But I do have a pretty good track record when it comes to predicting sleeper teams, not only in the NFL, but in college football as well. If you go back and you watch my videos from last year, I said Arkansas was going to be the most improved team in the SEC. Well, not only in the SEC, but in college football. Look what happened. Same thing with Ole Miss. I said that. Don't be surprised if Ole Miss ends up being in second place in the SEC West. Look what happened. So when you look at Oregon State, it was either them or Washington. I went with them simply for the fact that I don't think you can view Washington as a sleeper team because their over-under win total is 7.5. You look at Oregon State. This is a team that is coming off one of the better seasons that they've had in a very long time under head coach Jonathan Smith, who is going to be going into his fifth year with this program. And despite the fact that they went 7-6, and six, they started off the season pretty hot. They went 5-2. and two. They had a big upset at home against Utah, winning 42-34. And then after their 5-2 and two start, things kind of started to cool off for them a little bit momentum-wise. They lost to Utah State in their bowl game. But if you're looking at the Beavers... You're wondering if they can take that next step. And what is that next step, you may ask? Well, that next step is probably being able to reach the plateau of eight wins, right? Their over-under win total is only five and a half, which I definitely feel they have a good chance being able to win a bare minimum of six games. And they have a good amount of talent that comes back on both sides of the football. You have quarterback Chance Nolan, who is going into his second season as the starting quarterback. Last year, he was pretty solid. He doesn't have outstanding numbers, but if you go and you watch his performances, he was pretty solid. He did have some up and down games, but for the most part, he's pretty solid. I think that he's going to take a major step in development this year. You also have a pretty good group of running backs. Despite the fact that you lost your leading rusher in B.J. Baylor, you have true freshman Damian Martinez, who is 5'10", 220 pounds. He was a three-star recruit coming out of this past year's recruiting class. And he has pretty much been the talk of spring camp for Oregon State. He's been really impressive. A lot of coaches have been really thrilled with how fast he's picked up the scheme in the playbook. So look for him to have a pretty solid role this year on this team. You also have Deshaun Fenwick who probably is the best running back that you have on the team at the moment. 78 carries, 448 rushing yards, 5.7 yards per attempt, and four touchdowns in 2021 for him. You also have Trey Lowe, who's also really productive, coming off a solid 2021 campaign as well. You return three out of five starters on the offensive line. You actually have three of your starters who were selected to Athlon Sports, Pac-12 preseason team so this offensive line is going to be really solid you do have a couple of positions that still needs to be filled out but for the most part you should be able to have a pretty solid time being able to handle yourself against some of the more lesser teams in this conference such as Colorado Arizona State Arizona when it comes to the wide receiver position, you did lose your leading wideout from last year, Trayvon Bradford, but you have Treshawn Harris, who was second on the team in yards, receptions, and touchdowns. You also have Ty John, Lindsey, Anthony Gold. Then you have tight end Luke 
Musgrave, which last year he only had one touchdown, 22 receptions, and 304 receiving yards. I definitely feel that he's going to have a bigger impact in the passing game this year. So offensively, this is probably going to be one of the better offenses that you're going to find in the Pac-12 conference this year. Maybe the most underrated offense in the Pac-12 this year because this was an offense that last year was really good. They didn't have too many games where they struggled to put up points until the tail end of the season. So you look at the defense. Now the defense is probably the biggest question mark and it may be why a good amount of you guys, if you're not an Oregon State fan, may be against this team being the biggest sleeper team in this conference because the defense wasn't great getting off the field in third down situations. As a matter of fact, they had the worst third down defense in college football last season. On top of that, they struggled to stop the pass. And a large reason for their struggles in the passing game was because they didn't have a good pass rush. As a matter of fact, they were one of the worst teams in all of college football when it came to getting pressure on the quarterback. However, you look at their outside linebackers and their defensive line going into this season. We don't know how good the defensive line is going to be per se. They have a couple of guys that they're banking on to take a big step in improving this all season, but we don't really know how they're going to perform. But their coaching staff has a lot of confidence in the depth that they have at outside linebacker. They may not have as much confidence in the defensive line as they do when it comes to outside linebacker, but this coaching staff feels as if this is the deepest that they've been at outside linebacker in a while. You have Corey Stover, who could take a major leap this year. You also have a four-star transfer from the University of Florida and Andrew Chatfield Jr. He was a four-star coming out of the 2018 recruiting class. He transferred to Oregon State during the 2021 season, so he didn't play. And despite the fact that he didn't see a lot of action during his playing career with the Gators, 2020, he did have a little bit of an impact. He had two and a half sacks, and he did receive a lot of praise over the spring from this coaching staff at Oregon State. So you feel really good about what you're going to get from your linebackers in terms of the pass rush this year. Inside linebacker, you have Omar Spates, 87 tackles, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, one of the best linebackers in this conference, one of the more underrated defensive players in college football. Your secondary probably is the strength of your team, okay? You have cornerback Rajon Wright. You have Alex Austin, Ron Hardage. You have a lot of experience in this group. Also, when you look at safety, pretty good as well. Jaden Grant, he was third on the team in tackles with 71. He had seven pass breakups and two interceptions. Julian Alton is probably going to be productive as well. So even though this group had its ups and downs last season for the most part this is a position that's looking on the up and they can end up being one of the better secondaries in this conference this year and with everybody coming back with a added year of experience that's also going to help this group when it comes to playing more consistent on the field so when you're analyzing Oregon State's schedule 
it's definitely not the schedule that you're going to look at and you're going to say, yeah, JT, I have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to pull off eight wins this year. But you start off with Boise State at home, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. That's going to be a pretty tough game for Oregon State. Boise State is definitely one of those teams that you definitely do not want to open the season off with. But I definitely feel that... That is a winnable game. I could see them winning that one. You go on the road to Fresno State the week after. That's going to be a really tough game. Fresno State is one of the best G5 programs in college football going into this season. So that could be a toss-up. But if you're able to win one of those games and you go 1-1 one one going into Montana State, I think you're in pretty good shape. So then Montana State, you can chalk that up as a victory. Then that's where you get into the meat of your schedule. You enter conference play. You have to play USC, but you do get them at home. You play Utah on the road. That's going to be tough. Then you go on the road to Stanford. Now, we don't really know what Stanford is going to be this year. The last time I checked, their win total was only four and a half. So if Stanford can't get things turned around... That could be a victory as well. So you beat Fresno State or Boise State. You split one and one your first two games. Okay, you beat Montana State. Then you're able to pull off a win on the road against Stanford. You have three wins already. And then you have to play Washington State, which is a game that could go either way. Then you have to play Colorado. So that's four wins there. So really, now you just need two more wins. And you can definitely get them. You play Washington on the road, but you're doing that coming off a bye. Then you play Cal, which Cal isn't really looking to be all that great on paper. So that could be a win. You get the five. Then you go on the road to Arizona State. That should be a win because Arizona State right now, their program is in a lot of turmoil. We don't really know what's going to happen with Herm Edwards, but you look at Arizona State, they don't have that much talent. Not only are they lacking in the talent department, but they don't have a lot of depth neither. So you should be able to win that Arizona State game. And then you play Oregon on a Friday night at home. You probably will have a tough time winning that one against your rival. But again, it is a rivalry game. And I don't think Oregon State is going to be a team that's going to end up getting blown out by many teams this year in this conference. So I definitely feel that game could be a lot closer than what people think. So... All in all, you should be able to find a way to get the six wins. You should definitely be able to exceed that five-and-a-half win total. And then you have a pretty good chance to win that Washington game. So let's say you win that game. Okay, you're at seven wins. And then let's even say that you're able to go 2-0 and and you're out of conference. Let's say you can beat Boise State and both Fresno State. Okay, so what? What's that? Nine wins at this point? And then... You have to see if you can pull off an upset against USC, but you do play them at home, so that's one thing that goes in your advantage. Then you have to go on the road to face Utah. So, all in all, this is a program going into this season that, at bare minimum, should be able to win six games. And then, if they are playing at their best, I think this ceiling is nine wins. So, I think they'll probably be able to win seven games this year. I definitely feel that they may be able to pull up an upset. And then you do have a pretty solid schedule where 
outside of USC and Utah, every game pretty much should be a winnable matchup for you. Maybe Oregon, you may go into that game as a double-digit underdog, maybe. I don't know. I don't really think that Oregon is going to be as great as what they have been in the past, but they are better than Oregon State on paper. But as I mentioned, this is a rivalry. So, you know, these rivalry games are always tending to be pretty closely contested. They could kind of come down to the wire and you never know what can really happen. So, overall, I'm really excited about the direction that this Oregon State program is heading. And I really hope that I'm not misled from what they did last season because they did show a lot of promise really early on and then things kind of started to go left nil near the middle of the season so hopefully you can get a more consistent football team and you can have more consistent play out of the secondary and maybe be able to have more success when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback, which you should, because I don't think the pass rush can get any worse from what it was last year. And if the pass rush improves, that's going to help out that secondary also. So let me know how you guys feel about Oregon State football going into the 2022 college football season. I know not too many of you guys probably are going to view them as a sleeper team in the Pac-12, However, I definitely feel this is a team that has a pretty high ceiling, and I think that if you're somebody who likes to bet, I could definitely see them exceeding that 5.5 over-under win total in 2022. We're going to stay in the Pac-12. I've talked about the Pac-12 a lot on the podcast over the last couple of days. Make sure that you guys go ahead and check out those segments. We talked about USC football and UCLA, Utah, Oregon State as well. And one of the last teams that we're going to be talking about is Oregon. And Oregon is a team that many people are kind of overlooking in a sense because they bring in a new head coach in Dan Lanning, formerly the defensive coordinator for Georgia. And we know that Oregon has a lot of talent. Their over-under win total going into this season is 8.5. So that shows you that people in Vegas are showing Oregon a lot of respect. However, I don't think not enough people are giving them enough respect when it comes to where they rank in the Pac-12 championship picture. Because I think that Oregon has a really good shot at winning the Pac-12 this year. And I'm not saying that they're going to win it, but I am saying that in terms of where they lie and the discussion between them and USC, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if we do see them in the Pac-12 championship game this year. Last year, under Mario Cristobal, they went 10-4, 7-2 in Pac-12 play. And on offense... If you're an Oregon fan, you have to be feeling incredibly excited about how good your offensive attack is going to be because Oregon fans have been highly critical of the offense over the last couple of seasons. It's kind of been a vanilla offense in a sense. It's an offense that doesn't really do anything all that exciting. It's a little bit conservative in a sense. So you're going to this season, right, with a new offensive coordinator. You have some new blood in there. 
And they have talked a lot about how they want to stretch the field. They want to take more shots deep. And that's something that you love to hear if you're a Ducks fan. Now, your quarterback is most likely going to be Auburn transfer Bo Nix. And I think that Bo Nix, to his credit, even though I have been a really big critic of his over the last couple of seasons, he had a really good season for Auburn last year, considering the situation that he was in. This was an Auburn team that had struggles at wide receiver. Remember, they fired their wide receiver coach really early into the season. The offensive line play wasn't all that great. And when Bo Nix went down with his injury, you could see that this offense just completely fell apart. And if he would have played in that Alabama game, Auburn might have been able to pull off the upset in that matchup. So I think that Bo Nix is coming off one of the best seasons, if not the best season of his collegiate career. And this is probably the most talented supporting cast that he has ever had. The wide receivers, although you do have a lot of new faces, you have plenty of talent. You have wide receivers who have been highly recruited coming out of high school, such as Troy Franklin, you have Dante Thornton, both of those guys were four-star recruits, both top 100 players ranked nationally coming out of the 2021 recruiting cycle. You also have Seven McGee, who is a wide receiver slash running back hybrid. He also was a four-star recruit from that 2021 recruiting cycle as well. The offensive line is one of the best in all of college football, you return four out of five starters. So this is a really good situation that Bo Nix is walking into. And then the running back group is really good. You have Byron Cardwell, who had a really good freshman campaign. Sean Dollars is more of the change of pace back. He's pretty shifty. He has a lot of quickness. And then you have Noah Whittington, who is probably going to be your third down back because he has the best hands out of the running backs currently on the roster. So offensively, this may be one of the best offenses that we've seen from Oregon in a very long time. And that's saying a lot considering the fact that you had Justin Herbert as your quarterback not too long ago. But everybody was asking, you know, why is Justin Herbert so better in the NFL than when he was at Oregon? Well, to answer your question, it was the offense. So that tells you everything that you need to know about the kind of style of offense that Oregon was running under head coach Mario Cristobal. So I'm really excited for what Oregon is going to do on the offensive side of the football, man. I think you're going to see a lot of big plays downfield. You're going to see a lot of explosive plays. You're going to be seeing a lot of things happening after the catch. Because one thing about their wide receiver room is that every single one of these guys can fly. Everybody has wills. They all were people who formerly ran track in high school in a sense. So... I'm really happy that Oregon is bringing in a new offensive coordinator for a change. I like the fact that now we're going to have an opportunity to really see the wide receivers and the talent that Oregon has recruited over the last couple of years finally be utilized in a really good way. And I'm not trying to say that Oregon underutilized any of the wide receivers that they've had in the past. I'm not trying to say that. All I'm saying is that 
their offense could have been a little bit more better than what it was under Mario Cristobal. Now, the defense side of the football, that's probably where many people, if you're a USC fan or a Utah fan, you're probably going to say, man, JT, the defense stunk last year. There's no shot that Oregon's going to be able to make it to the Pac-12 championship. Well, even though the defense wasn't all that great, it should improve with the fact that you have Dan Lanning as your head coach and with him being the defensive coordinator for Georgia over the last couple of years, he should be able to turn around this Oregon Ducks defense. And it's not as if Oregon doesn't have no talent on defense at all. They've recruited pretty well. Their defensive line should be pretty solid. Your linebackers, you have Noah Sewell, who had 114 tackles in 2021, which led the team. You have Justin Flo. Really excited to see what he can do finally with him being able to get on the field. Hopefully he can stay healthy. He's only played in, what, two games over the last couple of years. So with him being able to come in and if he can stay healthy, I think without a question he ends up being one of the best linebackers in the nation. If that ends up holding true, then you have the best linebacker core in college football with Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. How good is the secondary going to be, though? Because they did lose a good amount of talent to not only the NFL, but also you have one of your better corners who ended up transferring to Auburn during the offseason. However, I do like Christian Gonzalez. He definitely is somebody that I'm going to have my eyes on this year. So you look at Oregon and you break down their schedule, right? I think that Oregon has one of the toughest out-of-conference schedules in college football this year. Because you start off week one going against Georgia. And that's a really tough game for any program, especially under a new head coach. Now, Oregon fans are probably going to be feeling a little more optimistic than how most fan bases would be when they play against Georgia. And the reason for that is because you have Georgia's former defensive coordinator. However, Oregon fans are probably going to say, JT, we have a great chance winning that game because Dan Lanning knows Kirby Smart. He knows Georgia's system. He knows what they like to do on the defensive end. We're going to be pretty prepared. Understandable. However, this is what you have to understand. Georgia is Georgia for a reason. They have recruited at a very high level, a really elite level. And on top of that, it's not going to be all that hard for Kirby Smart to switch things up. And then offensively, we still don't know how good that secondary is going to be. And even though you do have Stetson Bennett at quarterback, and many people still kind of doubt him, despite the fact that he won a national championship or whatnot, whatever. The secondary is going to get tested in this game. You have a really good group of wide receivers that Georgia is bringing in. Arik Gilbert is somebody who I'm really excited to see. What's going to happen with Brock Bowers? Who's going to end up defending him? So there are a lot of things that you have to take into account as an Oregon fan going into that Georgia game. And if you guys want me to, I can end up breaking down that game. Even though it's a couple of weeks away, we still have a very long while to go until week one of the college football season. But if you're interested in hearing my thoughts more in depth on that matchup, let me know down in the comment section down below if you want to hear that if you're listening to this 
based on YouTube, but that Georgia game, I'm not going to say it's going to be an automatic L, but it's going to be a pretty tough game that I'm going to have a hard time seeing Oregon win. I think that Oregon is definitely going to be able to maybe hang around for a couple of quarters or two, but I do expect Georgia to be able to pull away in that game. Then you do face Eastern Washington at home. That should be a victory there. Then you have to play BYU at home. And BYU is a really, really tough outing for anybody this season. And BYU has assembled a pretty tough schedule this year. You look at BYU, right? And you look at the fact that they have... A good amount of production returning. You have a really good head coach and a really good quarterback. Oregon definitely is going to be in for a dogfight in that game. So I'm not going to say they're going to lose that game. I think they have a really good shot at winning that one. But you have two really tough games to start the season. Week one and week three. Then after that, you enter conference play. And your next three games on paper look to be pretty easy. They should be pretty winnable. You have to go on the road to Washington State. You should be able to win that one. You have Stanford at home. Then you play Arizona. So no matter how you start in the outer conference, even if you start off with a loss against Georgia, you should be able to turn things around against Eastern Washington. So you go one and one. Then you play BYU at home. You should be able to pull that one off two and one but even if you lose that game and you go one and two to start the season you're still not in a bad situation because then you have the opportunity to have three really easy winnable games Washington State Stanford Arizona so maybe you end up what okay win against Washington you could end up winning against BYU so what you're pretty much at one, two, three. You should be able to win four or five games during that stretch. So then you play UCLA at home, coming off a bye. Then you have to play Cal, Colorado, Washington, which isn't a easy stretch because the two toughest games that you do have is UCLA and Washington. But you should be able to come away at least winning the majority of those games. You should definitely be able to beat Cal and Colorado, even though both of those games are going to be on the road there. Washington is a team that we really don't know too much about. They have a new coaching staff, so we don't really know what to expect. We don't really know how long that Washington rebuild is going to take. We don't know if they're going to be a team that's just going to be able to poof, explode right away this year if they're new head coach, or if it's going to be a little bit of some growing pains there. Then after that, you play Utah at home. Then you have to go on the road and face your arch rival, Oregon State. So all in all, Oregon should definitely be able to have eight wins, bare minimum. Maybe seven, worst case scenario. But I think that I could see this team around nine, ten wins, honestly. Now, is ten wins good enough to get you into the Pac-12 championship game? Because you still have to be able to beat Utah. And Utah is that team that gave Oregon a lot of trouble last year. However... Oregon is going to be better on the defense side of the football this year. So they shouldn't be getting gashed the way they did against Utah last year. Because the way Utah beat Oregon, they just they just were disrespectful. 
They just said, we're not going to do anything fancy. We're just going to beat you with old-fashioned football, ground and pound, tie your defense out, keep your offense off the field. So hopefully Oregon doesn't allow that to happen again because I picked Oregon to win those matchups twice. And both of those games, they ended up losing, especially the Pac-12 championship game. That may have been the most embarrassing loss that Oregon had all season, simply for the fact that you lost to the same team and they beat you the same way that they did the last time. So you look at Oregon, I think that they have a really good shot at being able to win the Pac-12 this year. And the reason why I think they have a better chance is because I think that when you look at the depth that they have, I think that's going to play a major role into being able to be the team like Utah because UCLA is really good, but I question how much talent they have on the defensive end of things. And then on top of that, you question USC when it comes to how much depth they have on both ends of the football, the offensive line and on the defensive side of the football. So for Oregon, I think that you have a really good shot at being able to not only win 10 games but to be able to surprise some people and win this conference so let me know how you guys are feeling about the Oregon football program going into the 2022 college football season do you guys feel that they can win the Pac-12 this year let me know down in the comment section down below how good will the Denver Broncos offense be this upcoming NFL season now Nathaniel Hackett takes over as head coach and he has also announced that he is going to be the play caller for those of you guys who don't know that already. And last year, Denver's offense was, it was all right. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was decent. They were 23rd in points per game, 19th in yards per game. They were 12th in the NFL in rushing yards per game and they had the 19th best passing offense. So this offense was okay last year and Teddy Bridgewater really surprised me Teddy Bridgewater was actually not all that bad last year he played pretty solid at times so you upgrade that quarterback and you bring in Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson some people think that he has regressed which I don't know if I'll say he has regressed because I still think that Russell Wilson is just as good as how he has been in the past. But I can't understand why some people say that Russell Wilson has kind of taken a step back. I was arguing with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. It was going back and forth about Russell Wilson. He was saying that Russell Wilson isn't even a top eight quarterback no more. And I was saying, bro, what's wrong with you? You don't think Russell Wilson is a top eight quarterback? Look what he's done with the Seattle Seahawks the last couple of seasons. Without Russell Wilson, there pretty much is no Seattle making it into the postseason as many times that they've had over the last, what, three, four years because they haven't really had outstanding offensive line play and their defenses haven't really been all that great neither. And even Pete Carroll said um, at some point during last year when Russell Wilson had the missed time with injury, he said that if it wasn't for Russell Wilson – we wouldn't have been able to have the success that we've had for so long. So Russell Wilson was really the Seattle Seahawks in a sense. So you bring him to Denver. And Denver fans have always felt that they are just a quarterback away. You got your quarterback now. Now your whole entire offense should just 
boom, it should explode. You have a really outstanding group of wide receivers. You have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler. Cortland Sutton last year, many people thought he was going to be in for a big season, but even I had a feeling that he was going to kind of have a letdown year, not because of him, but simply for the fact that you were going to have Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. With Russell Wilson at quarterback, I think that you're going to see Cortland Sutton definitely end up playing at the level that many people thought that he would last year. And I'm going to say it again before you guys start screaming at me in the comment section. I'm not saying that Cortland Sutton had a disappointing season last year because of him. It was because of his quarterback situation. Russell Wilson is the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. So you pair him up with Cortland Sutton, who happens to be one of the best deep threats in the league. You should see Cortland Sutton end up having a Pro Bowl caliber season this year. And he was targeted 98 times. So I think that if I had to project Cortland Sutton's stats for this year, I probably think that he will have 80 receptions somewhere around there. 1,100 to 1,200 receiving yards and maybe eight or nine touchdowns this season. I think that you're definitely going to see Cortland Sutton definitely have a really outstanding season. You look at Jerry Judy, he missed a little bit of time last year due to injuries. So with him coming back fully healthy, if he can stay healthy throughout the season, I also don't see no reason why he can end up having a Pro Bowl caliber season as well. Tim Patrick was kind of the biggest surprise for me on this offense last year. You know, we was all talking about who were going to be some breakouts on this offense last year. And there was a good amount of Denver Broncos fans who told me that I was overlooking Tim Patrick. He had a really good training camp, really good spring season, but... You know, I, I can only cover as so many players because I talk about almost every single NFL team. So I apologize if I don't know every single breakout stud from every roster. But Tim Patrick had a really solid year last year. 53 receptions, 734 receiving yards, and five touchdowns. And at times, he seemed to be Teddy Bridgewater's go-to target at moments. He was really good when it came to moving the chains. He also found the end zone more than any other wide receiver on the roster. So I'm definitely going to give Tim Patrick his flowers. And then you have tied in Albert O. I really want to try to pronounce his last name because I love saying these last names. But you guys already know how it goes. It's fun to say, but really difficult to pronounce. So I'm not going to disrespect Mr. Albert O like that, but... I can definitely understand why Denver was willing to trade away Noah Fant because this guy was really good last year. And I don't really think enough people understand how good he was. He was targeted 40 times and caught 33 receptions. Think about that. The dude only had seven incompletions when he was targeted. So you also look at the fact that not only does he have reliable hands, but he is incredibly athletic. He probably is more athletic than Noah Fan in a sense because this guy can really move. And he doesn't move the way that you see a normal tight end move. Like he can make people miss and he can he doesn't have to run through you. Like he can get really shifty. He can get jiggy on you. And I, I was really surprised when I was watching Alberto play last year. I was saying, Whoa, is this really a tight end? 
He looks as if he could play a little bit of receiver because he can really move and he's a little shifty, really nimble in the open field. He has really good speed. So I'm really excited about Aberdo. I'm going to pick him up on a lot of my fantasy rosters. I don't know if I'm going to start him, but I'm just going to have him on my bench just in case he ends up going off because you see, there's so many weapons in the passing game for Denver that... I don't think that Albert O is going to get as much volume to have the kind of season that many people are hoping that he can have. When I've been looking at some stat predictions, I've seen 800, 900 yards. I don't know if he's going to be able to reach that threshold because if he's going to have 800, 900 yards, you're telling me that he's going to end up having at least 70 or 80 targets this year. And I really can't see that. I think he'll probably be around 50 or 60 simply for the fact that you have to account for Tim Patrick. You have to account for Judy and Corlin Satan also. So for him, I definitely think he's going to be really productive. I definitely feel he's going to be really good inside of the red zone. But I don't think when it comes to having a a year when he can just go off over a thousand yards, I don't know. Because there's just so many players in this offense that are having to get targets that if Alberto was to end up having that kind of season that people are hoping that he can have, and really it's not Broncos fans that are thinking this, it's really the people in the fantasy football world who are hoping for this kind of season because you guys know how it is with the fantasy football people. They they do their breakouts around this time, and they're giving lofty... um expectations because they want to hype up their sleepers but if you're really looking at this offense and the target shares for everybody I really don't think it's enough volume to go around for Alberto to end up reaching 800 900 yards still a very great player still expecting him to be really good but I think you could kind of see him around 500 600 yards max I'd be really surprised if he got over 700 you look at running back Running back is a really intriguing situation because you have the rising young player and Javante Williams who had 203 carries for 903 rushing yards, four touchdowns, and now it's 4.4 yards per attempt. He also was a factor in the passing game. He caught 43 passes for 316 receiving yards and three touchdowns. So Javante Williams is coming up. He could be in for a really big season. However, He's fighting off Melvin Gordon. And Melvin Gordon isn't going down without a fight. And Melvin Gordon has already came out, said several times, that he still has a lot left in the tank. And he's just not going to surrender his role and take a backseat to anybody. And no disrespect to Javante Williams. You get what I'm saying? Melvin Gordon also said that. He said him and Javante Williams are really good friends. They talk almost every day. But... He's not taking a backseat to nobody. He still has a lot to prove, and he can still be a really productive halfback. And Melvin Gordon, to his credit, you know, he was he was solid last year. Had the same amount of carries, 918 rushing yards, 8 touchdowns, 5.4.5 yards per attempt. So we're definitely still going to see a two-headed attack. The only way that I really see Javante Williams really just 
taking over and getting the majority of carries is if Melvin Gordon ends up going down with an injury and ends up missing time, then that's why I can see Javante Williams starting to get the bulk load of the carries. But if Melvin Gordon does stay healthy for the whole entire season, I still expect to see a two-headed attack, a two-headed rotation. And then the offensive line is really solid. So overall, this is an offense that I am expecting to be in the top 10 this season. I'm expecting big things out of Russell Wilson. I think he's going to end up putting up phenomenal numbers. He could be in for the best season of his career because remember in Seattle, he never really had an offensive line this good. He never really had a legitimate running game for the most part. There were many seasons when Russell Wilson was carrying the load on the ground for Seattle at times. So I think that this is going to be a phenomenal offense, even though I don't know how good of a play caller Nathaniel Hackett is going to be. But when you have a lead quarterback, he can make a below average or average play caller look better compared to if you had a Drew Locke or Teddy Bridge or that quarterback. So for Russell Wilson, I think that he's going to pick up from where he left off last year. I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's definitely in my top 10. Don't know about many of you guys, but I still regard him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think that he's going to be in for a season when maybe he could be in the MVP conversation because I don't think Russell Wilson has ever had an offense that had this much talent, not just at wide receiver, but in the run game, and that the offensive line position. And I understand he had Marshawn Lynch, but after Marshawn, you know, retired, the run game for Seattle wasn't as great as what it was when they had primetime beast mode. So let me know how you guys feel about the Denver Broncos offense going into the 2022 NFL season. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, the JT Sports Podcast is available on every single podcasting platform. And I will see you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.